Look up there in the sky. It's a bird, a plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One food for all. One Arkle Barkle. One weekly discussion of comics and nerd culture. I'm your host, Robbie Dorman, the literature geek and writer. And I'm your other host, Eric Z. Goodnight, professional artist and illustration nerd. And we are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You're home for news, reviews, slightly antagonistic, and much, much more. It's episode 150. Yes. That's a lot of them. So I, I, I don't get a gift this time. I got you two presents. Okay. I don't know how I'm going to get them to you. Don't move to Canada until I give you presents. I mean, they do deliver things to Canada. No. No? Oh, they, no. They, they literally don't. I, I, was mean, told, I was told they did. No, that's how countries work. I'm sorry. You have to get new cats. No. I got. I, sh- I, gave, I took them to the vet and got shots so they could come with us. <laughs> it's just like the Simpsons. There's going to be chuzwasslers everywhere. Chuzwasslers? Mm-hmm. That's what I'd call them. Uh, hey, guys. We, uh, this is our, our 150th. So we're doing a little crossover event appropriate, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, you know, this momentous occasion. Uh, we will be joined with my co-host from The Simpsons Show, Matt Ham, the hamster, Dr. Hamster. Mm-hmm. That's his name. So he's, he's the, he's Matt, Matt the hamster, Dr. Hamster. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's, that is a really complicated name. Yeah. We, he is going to join us for our discussion, uh, in our boy book club. We are doing The Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot about the attic right now. We talk a lot about Batman. Uh, a fair, a fair bit. Yeah. It's jam packed. We had, we have a jam packed episode for you. Yeah. Uh, Eric's going to check in with heroes con a little bit. Yep. Yep. Sure do. And, uh, before we get to that though, before we get to dark Knight returns, before we get to heroes con, we have comic books that came out. Well, this past week in the week before we said we had two weeks off or a week off. Yeah. Technically a week off. And, uh, we're going to, I felt some of those books we probably should at least look at. Uh, but it is time for Weekly Floppies. Weekly Floppies is the part show where Eric and I will uh, take a look at usually a, this week's books, but now the past two weeks' books. Tell you to buy or do not buy them. There's may, may or may not be a mush meter involved, one to five, depending on if we are feeling mushy about something. Mm-hmm. We're mushy boys. Well, I'm working on that. Oh, I meant it, I meant it like emotionally. Oh well, that definitely. I didn't. I didn't. I was not physically. I am mushy, but that I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Yeah, best not to discuss that too much. Uh, our, <laughs> our first book is Batman number one, written by Tom King, David Finch on pencils, Matt Banning on inks, Jordi Belair on colors, John Workman doing the letters. Uh, the first official Tom King written Batman issue, solo written Batman issue. I really liked it. Okay, I was I I heard that pause and I'm like, what is he gonna say? No, I my heart, I, my heart skipped a beat. Any, how do you? I mean, how could someone not like this? It's Batman averting a plane crash. It's I mean, I don't know. That's that's good writing. That really sets the hook right away. That that sets the time bomb. Tom, uh, Tom King, yeah, DC did a really good thing getting him exclusive. The, Tom King. May save DC. 
I, this, yeah, this book is any reservations I had after reading the Rebirth issue. Mm-hmm. I do not have any with after reading this book. It is, I think, it is very smart in that it is exactly, hey, there is a plane crashing. Batman mm-hmm. needs to stop it, and then the little, you know, the the twist at the end, so to speak. Not really a twist, mm-hmm. but you know, it that sets the stage for what I imagine will be the the first arc or two for his Batman run. Um. Mm-hmm. I like David Finch's art. Are you a Finch it's, fan, Eric? I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head uh, that I've I've read by the man. It is nice looking. Um, makes me think of um, Hitch. Yes, it so is. It is from that same kind of like widescreen. Yes. Mm-hmm. People have described it as cinematic. Oh, yeah. It's it's very much kind of that era of uh, of comic book art, and I think it's a. It's a good fit for a uh, a mainline uh, Batman book. There's no way he's doing two issues of this a month, though. No, he or is, is it one it, a week. It is it is twice. It is by by monthly, so two bi-monthly. a month. But they are switching between him and um, Mikkel Janin or Michael Janin. I don't know how to say. Mm-hmm. It. But he, the guy who he he drew uh, Grayson. Okay, so that's he, good. He'll they'll it's be switching fit. between those two. I don't know if yeah. if they like work a couple in advance and then switch. I don't. Whatever. We'll we'll see. We'll see what they're. But that those two are doing the art, and I am a fan of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like. You're right. I Finch is in the same kind of school as Hitch, but I like Finch more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. Like I I don't know that I've soured on on Hitch, but this has a little bit more character to it. Um, it's it's not entirely cinematic like let me it's not very alex rossi i guess it's uh and it it doesn't quite go all the way over to uh jim lee territory either no but i think there i think there's kind of elements and inspiration of all of that because it's a little cartoony and it's a little comic booky and it's a little all of these things but it's uh it's good i think it'll i think this book is going to be great yeah, I'm very interested to see with that last page the reveal of this these super powered duo. Yeah, the the Gotham's the Gotham's. Um, but I'm a buy, firmly on board. Absolutely buy. Double buy on Batman number one. <laughs> Sweet. Our next book, Green Arrow number one. Story: Benjamin Percy. Art and color: Otto Schmidt. Letters: Nate Picos. I believe it actually is. Let's see. He he actually Nate Picos of Lambot. That is how he he actually corrected somebody about the pronunciation of his name on Twitter. Uh, on letters. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought that rebirth. I, okay, uh, we were pretty. I was the most surprised about that rebirth issue of this of the Green Arrow rebirth book. Um, I still like this. It feels like this issue does too much. That I it, mm. like it has it gets too much in like happening. I and I'm like and I I don't know. I felt like this book was going to be more of a slow burn. Maybe that was just my expectation. But you, I mean, I'm not disappointed in it. Yeah, it just surprised me how quickly everything changed. Like they, I guess they're not messing around. They want th- things to change in with this Green Arrow status quo. Mm-hmm. It seems like it is. I don't think. I do think it's interesting. It is pretty rapid fire, but it just feels like good, efficient storytelling to me. I mean, it is a little surprising, and it's a jarring shift there at well, the end. Well, like but, not not even like, the end, but the reveal of who the, mm-hmm. the that red face guy is, and and then that shift at the end, like it's 
I'm like, whoa, okay. I, this book is not going to be what I necessarily, I thought it'd be like a very much longer protracted, like mystery about who is this guy and him trying to figure it out, but that's not what they're doing. Um, I'm, it's not bad. I still will really like it. Oh, Schmidt's art is still really, really good. I, I still do enjoy it, but I, I don't know that it's, it's weak as much as it is flat. I don't know. And it, it maybe it's a good thing that Otto is focusing more on storytelling and less on crazy dynamic drawing that kind of gets in the way because it feels reserved. It doesn't feel rushed, but it feels like he's holding back on purpose. Nothing is, I mean, it looks good, but it doesn't look, I don't know. Otto Schmidt's a dynamo. Does this, does, do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Are you, are you, uh, are you saying like the, um, I can't think of the guy's name. Um, oh, it's bothering me that I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. Empty backgrounds, beautiful. Noto. Noto. Phil Noto. Like, is it like that, you mean? No, not okay. at all. Okay. I think that all the panels, it's just that there's nothing particularly dynamic or exciting about this. It's just really good, and it looks rich, but it doesn't get me. it doesn't keep me awake at night, you know? I think everything is coming together really well, and it's a good focus on storytelling. But it's not like crazy, insane, virtuoso art. By, by that's not a criticism necessarily. I just feel like Schmidt, Otto Schmidt's holding back a little bit. Mostly, what I'm familiar with him from is just little one-off illustrations. My whole point is, I, I, I the first issue I thought was really beautiful. It was worthy of his. I mean, this is still this is still top tier, but it feels more like. You mean the rebirth? Let me issue? tell it. Yes, yeah, because this is still number one. Yeah, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the last number one. The, yeah, goddamn, <laughs> stupid, <laughs> fucking. The next issue will be issue four hundred and fifty nine, right? No, 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 no. That's Detective Comics. <sighs> An action, action comics. Yeah, jeez, Louise. Not. I'm a buy on this. I, I, yeah, I, no. I, I'm, I'm from, I'm still gonna, this is, it, DC has, these two books in particular, I am, hey, I wanna read these. Not, and don't, not because I, like, oh, I don't, oh, we need to read a DC book this week. Let's pick that one. It's more like, I want to read these act. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, it, it should say a lot about these, but I am in no way really criticizing it. It's still a great looking book. But if Otto wasn't so incredibly talented, I would say he was foaming it in. But it's it's not. He still brings a lot of um, professionalism to it. But it's just a little too by the numbers, if that makes sense. Uh, so he's a, a disgrace and should be exiled. Yes, he should just pull his own head off. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I didn't know he could he could do that. Oh, he's yeah, he can definitely do it. Oh, okay. that's a double buy on Green Arrow number one. Our next book is Civil War 2, number 2, 2-2. Two, two. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, Art David Marquez, colors Justin Ponsor, letters Clayton Cowles, designer Victor Ochoa. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, more, I'm mostly interested in what you have to say. I'm, 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 I really, I'm going to try not be like vitriolic <laughs> in this thing. I'm just going to say, this is a stupid comic and it, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't like it. I, this is, you describe this as like a a dumb comic for smart people. Mm-hmm. It's too dumb for me, or I'm not a smart person because I don't like this. I I'm <laughs> well, off. This is this 
first, my okay main critique is this Tony Stark. What I don't this is just a, for him having the higher ground ethically in this. Basically, he then acts like a crazy person. It kidnaps people, and they just play it off as a joke. Ha ha ha! I don't. You but, cannot. That you can't tell me that fits completely within his character, though. I, I, I don't. This is it. But even beyond that stuff, like this, I just can't get past how I forced this feels to me. I I find that so very interesting because I. I do enjoy this. I uh, to me this is I mean I, I don't know. I stand by what I said last time. This is this is like the smartest Michael Bay movie of of comic book events. This is this is the rock in comic book form. I I have I just I can't I don't know. I just it looks beautiful. And, Dave Marquez's art looks yeah. gorgeous. I will It's I, a it's a great book. A great looking book. I, I just, the Karnak is a different character from his solo book with Warren Ellis. Like, completely. They're not the same. Um, I, I, I don't, I, it, it feels artificial. Like, hey, let's just make, it does not feel character driven, it feels plot driven. And it is an event comic, so I'm not gonna say, oh, why do you think an event comic should be, I'm, I'm just gonna say, I'm, we will continue, I don't, do you want to keep reading this? Because I may just be this doing this every I think, time. No, I think you need to hate read it. I, I, I don't know. I, I am enjoying it, and I think I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying you being so tormented by it. I think this is a solid book. It's yeah, it's not the smartest book that ever was, but I don't know. It's fun. I don't know that a book where they they kill Rhodey should be fun, but it's still fun. There again, the, the uh, Ama do not buy on Civil War two number two. <laughs> I'm a buy. Split decision on Civil War two. You're number two. so disappointed. I'm not disappointed. I fully expected you to like it. I just mm-hmm. I don't. Like, that, that, that it is doing like this. It is doing exactly what I don't. I <laughs> was like, I hope it doesn't do that. Oh, it did that thing. Uh, our hey, next, that's, that's okay. Our next book is, come on. Nah. Come on, buddy. There you go. It's The Flash, number one. Written by Joshua Williamson, Art Carmine Di Gian Domenico, Ivan Placentio on Colors, Steve Wan's Letters. Uh, following, we, we read that Flash Rebirth book. Uh, we were pretty positive on it in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you still like this? Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly a lot. I do. I mean, it kind of doesn't, do anything it feels like a lot of wheel spinning and then a reveal at the end yeah you get that well i i it depends i mean it's hard to i i i'm curious if it ties in thematically like Mm -hmm. everything in this book ends up tying thematically into the greater arc because it very much is barry trying to like he can't do everything and i'm curious if that ends up being like the greater part of this of this story you know um but i it does feel a little empty but mm. i the character in it i feel like is good enough to and the i i like that reveal it, it subverts expectations a little bit um i'm still a buy on this book and and it isn't i i we were talking about that during the for the rebirth issue um it is not apparently not just hey let's investigate 
Dr. Manhattan behind the mm-hmm. scenes. I'm curious if they're going to do that with any comic. Because it's like that was a big driving force of Rebirth. And now it's certainly not in Batman. It's not in Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. It's not in this book. Is I'm curious I'm, if I'm, a book I'm really is... hoping if that was just like a big, like we just all got punked. Like they did, they, they leaked that to just screw with us and be like, I got to read this garbage. Because I, that's, that, that's, I mean, like sales for books where they're trolling people go up, you know, people buy books because they're angry. They're like, oh, I have to read this garbage. But if, if you can trick people to reading and then your content's good and then you, it actually, the leak was, a, was, you know, just to screw with you. I have, I have a feeling that they, it will be when the normal sales lull would happen yes. with certain books. They, oh, yeah. That is when they will begin investigating why, why Rorschach was hanging out in the Batcave or whatever. I don't. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think this book, I'm interested in it. I'm not as, as, I don't like it nearly as much as either the Batman or the Green Arrows. I, I maybe a mush of the, on a, like a one, a buy and a one mush. I don't think I even need to, I don't think I even need to throw that in there. Okay. I mean, I feel, I feel pretty good about it. It really isn't saying a whole heck of a lot. You know, I, I Green Arrow feels like it's got a stance. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's trying to say something, you know, maybe even, I, I, I see your point of view. So maybe even too much. This really, it doesn't have quite enough to say in this book. It does a lot of, um, I don't know. It do, it does a lot of showing and not telling, but it's still, it's worth reading. It does not, it does not feel like a garbage fire. So I think I'm, I'm a buy, and I'm, I'm happy to say I'm a buy. So, I like when DC books aren't crap. Double buy, flash number one, mush meter of point five, one half, one half of one. Mm-hmm. 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 Our final book of the week is Wonder Woman, number one. Written by Greg Rucka, Art Liam Sharp, Laura Martin on colors, Jody Wynn letters. Um, I think I like this. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Like, I, I want to like it way more than I do. I, like, it, a lot, I, I, the, I will say that the truth, you know, whatever that is, you know, whatever Wonder Woman is trying to find, I am curious enough to want to keep reading for that. Mm-hmm. And I think my overall enjoyment, like, I think that's, it's a kind of, I, Greg Rocca has written a lot of comic books. Uh, he knows what he's doing. I have a feeling, like, I have a feeling he wouldn't make it all lead into something that would be unsatisfactory. I hope that, like, that's the thing. Like, it kind of depends a lot on where it ends up, if this ends up being, like, a good story overall. Uh, like the chase is good, but if the chase ends in something like really off-putting or or disappointing, like, uh, but for this issue, I'm a buy. I'm also I'm cu- like curious why all the wartime, like the mm-hmm. what's his face? Um, I can't remember his name. What's that dude's name? It says Steve. I I oh, assume yeah. he's he's one of the the legacy. Like he's the I don't know. I thought the guy was in the Air Force or something. Yeah, uh, Steve. Well, I gotta remember his name. Steve Stevenson. Steve Stevenson sounds great. Mm-hmm. It's. Yeah, I'm sure that's Trevor. not it. But Steve does Trevor. It, it's Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. That's that is. Um. Uh, that's all American blonde man's name. Yeah, I'm curious to see what his role in all this like with why they're cutting to him because it is not really cogent at all to Wonder Woman's mm-hmm. story, but. It, it feels like it will be, or they wouldn't be seeing it. Uh, she does fight some gnoll, some gnolls, 
Yeah. I I think or bat face guys. I don't know what those things are, but she's fighting. They them. are uh they're bugbears. Bugbears. They're not really. They're not bugbears. Um they're, I just like saying bugbears. But I'm 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 curious enough to say I'm a, yeah. I, I'm I'm a buy. I I like I want to see where this goes. You know, it is You're right. It's I, interesting. My my interest in this book is fueled by me wanting it to be maybe a little not better than it is, but I have high aspirations for this book. And it's not disappointing me, but it's skirting the line of that. Do you like the art? Yeah, yes, it's it's lovely. Yeah. It's quite nice. I think it it has particularly the Wonder Woman scenes, they look different than a lot of the rest of the world. I think even God, these pages even look like they were done by were there other artists listed here? Nope. Just Liam Sharp. It looks completely different in other contexts. Like it almost looks scratchboard esque in the uh the pages when they're I assume in Africa and the, the Wonder Woman stuff. It's it's very neat looking and the color really ties it together. It's pretty gorgeous. That that that's it, it's worth buying just for how gorgeous some of these pages are. That's a real good selling factor. But I I I hope this continues to meet expectations. This could be an excellent story and I think that I don't know, the world's kind of crying out for truly stellar Wonder Woman stories like it's really senseless. That's that this is not like a triple A title. I don't know. She's such an important character. So bye. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh so double bye. Wonder Woman number one. Uh you read anything else, Eric? Uh yes, but I'm going to I'm gonna be talking about that. Oh, okay. I, I read I caught up on injection. Cool. It's very good. How did how did you feel about it? Did you just just caught up? I assume it's it, still issue going. ten. It, well, they're they're taking a break until the uh, end of the year. Then they'll start again, I guess, to give everyone. Dory Belair, I know she only colors like forty five books a month. So, mm-hmm. but I know Declan Chalvey's been writing. Uh, he was writing and draw, like writing a book from a story for Marvel. I know he's been very busy with other projects, and I think and Warren Ellis is always busy. So I think they're just like, hey, we'll take three months off, four months off. And then start up the machine again. You know, I'm I'm anxious for it already. The they are doing a great job telling that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Weekly Floppies is over for now. Always more comics. Matt <laughs> Matt would have talked by now. Uh, <laughs> I was just I thought you had dropped out. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I sometimes I just like to play it. We can move on to our next segment. It is time for checking in. Checking in is the part show. Eric and I will talk about what we've been up to, uh, what we've seen, done, looked at, talked to, read, looked, watched, played, verbs. Um, you want to go? You want? You want me to? How about I go first, and then you can? Yeah, you go first. I, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take a while because it was uh, especially epic. Okay. Uh, first thing is it's just a little small thing, but uh, it is a YouTube YouTube channel called Strip Panel Naked. Uh, by a gentleman, he's at Hassan O.E. I cannot pronounce his name probably correctly. It's Hassan O. But he does like five or six minute YouTube videos where he takes, uh, the most recent one was, uh, uh, from Hawkeye, David mm-hmm. Aha Hawkeye. And he will just take a page or a, like a very small thing and then just analyze layouts, uh, like how the, like construction 
of of the art and how it's telling the story and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's really, really smart and really, really good. Hmm. Uh, it it is. Uh, it reminds me a lot of. Why can't I remember the man's name now? Um, we did it for book club. Well, that that really narrows it down. No, the uh, how to make comics, how to read, how to draw the McCloud. Mc, yes, thank you. Uh, it reminds me of that stuff where it's very much like you can. He talks about in the Hawkeye panel about how there's all these you know very small panels with both Kate Bishop and Clint talking back and forth and just how their facial expressions and the size of them relative in each panel, how much it conveys without even having to read the dialogue. Like that is just one example. Um, It is, but he has done a a few of these now and he says he's going to continue. And I'm, I, they're very, very good. Very interesting. Um, I would definitely encourage anyone interested in that, like the, choices artists make in laying out pages and how they not even just like hey how do like how do i want to draw this but how do i want to tell the story without necessarily making it full of action um it's very interesting and he does a very good job explaining those choices um the other thing i want to touch on is a television program Mm, maybe you've heard of it it is titled preacher (laughs) i watched the first three episodes uh, the pilot, and then there's the pilot's labeled a zero episode. I don't know what that means. Um, but I watched mm. the first three. Um, I don't. You didn't get. Did you get a chance to watch any of it? I wish that I had. No. I've well, been just doing stuff. I don't. You probably should watch it just to yes. tell me if I'm a sane person. But I'm not alone in at least in this. I've seen other people on Twitter express this sentiment. I I don't know if I can actually judge it on like quality it separated from the fact that it is titled preacher like uh, like i don't think adaptations have to be letter and law the same thing you know and you can't on tv for a preacher there's just stuff in it is too grotesque too filthy too weird to succeed on network television to work um but i like if i s- tell you eric like mm-hmm. think of preacher and you can think you can may not like think of all the plot things that happen in it, but you can think of the like the tone, right? Mm-hmm. And the themes and whatever this show is, it is it just does not feel like preacher to me. It feels like it has. I think they they have introduced so many characters in in three episodes, and I I don't think that's a wise decision. Uh, but they have done it. So like everyone you know, you see. You know, you see Jesse, you see Tulip, you see Cassidy, you see Quinn Cannon, you see um, the, uh, the Saint of Killers even in a flashback sequence. Um, very little bit so far, but I, from what I've read of the next couple, he's, they, I think they're telling his story like in the past before he becomes uh, the Saint of Killers. Um, you see angels, you, you see the voice, you've already, Jesse's already using the voice of God. Okay. But it feels like they took all that stuff like all those puzzle pieces that make up preacher and then just laid them out in a, like a completely different pattern that completely changes everything. What I think about preacher is it's, I can't necessarily pinpoint precise. Well, one, they are not on the road. You know, he is not certainly not declared war on God. Uh, he is a, the one. He is still the preacher in the town. The, the church did not explode. People did not die. He just became, he just got the power, you know, they haven't really explained Genesis at all either. Um, 
like, so everything is very much like smaller focused in the town and there's all this town stuff going on on aside from all the crazy, you know, Cassidy and Tulip and Tulip's and Jesse's relationship is different. The only thing that feels right is anything, anytime Cassidy is on screen, it feels like Preacher. <laughs> I don't, they don't have him wearing his sunglasses, which bothers me. Um, but aside from that, the actor does a very good job at being, at being Cassidy and it feels like Preacher when he, whenever he's on the screen. Uh, there's, they've, Jesse has, they do have a one scene of Jesse being a badass, you know, just him being in a bar and being a, the toughest guy and that's cool, but it is very slow. But even beyond all the, it just doesn't feel like Preacher. It feels like, feels like someone read Preacher and went, oh, we'll make a TV show. And then it, they kind of just took everything and not, it doesn't feel smartly designed. Hmm. And I struggled through that last, like I was, I didn't really want to watch past two. I watched the third one just to let's say, hey, I watched it. So I got, like, I gave it three hours of my time. I'm like, I feel like it should be able to win me over. I'm already a preacher fan. And it, I'm, it made me, it turned me off completely. I am really curious about this. I, I might, uh, get off of the podcast when we're done and go watch it my own self. I'm, I'm really curious about this. I cannot believe that it's, I don't know. Can you compare it to anything? Are they trying to make it more if, like a DC show? Or I, it, more feels like more like, it feels more like, it feels more like Breaking Bad, honestly. Like Breaking Bad. Okay. And it has, it has a showrunner for Breaking Bad in it, like working mm-hmm. on it. So that might be explained that f- similarity. It also happens in Texas, you know, it's a Southwest mm-hmm. kind of thing, but it, and Preacher is not that tone to me. Um, no. Also, there it has gotten mostly good reviews. I don't know how many of those people have read the comic and have that in their mind as they're why. And like that's the thing. Like I don't know if I can just judge it as a TV show. Like if I was fresh, hey, let's watch this new show on AMC. It's based on a comic book. Let me check it out. I don't know if I'd. I I just all I think of the whole time I'm watching is this isn't preacher. What am I watching? No, like I'm I'm kind of okay with it not being. Because it, as good as that comic is, it's so such a product of that time that I don't know that it would work. If it was to, if it was, I, I don't know. I want to evaluate it for what it is, and I don't know. I'd, I'd like us to have like a longer discussion on it. As it stands, uh, there's so much other crap to talk about. Maybe we should have a longer discussion next week. Okay. I mean, it's. What 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 you have said has really piqued my interest. I would say I that am, what you just said that I don't know how you would do it nowadays, considering yes. it was so, that is exactly what I thought the entire time. I'm like, this mm-hmm. thing feels like them trying to do that and failing. But maybe you'll like it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm okay with it being its own thing. I don't know. We we will we will see. Eric, tell me about HeroesCon. <sighs> went to HeroesCon. Heroes Con was absolutely incredible. I did not even get to do all of my barrage of tweets, even though I feel like I hit the majority of it. I I kind of ran out of steam. I can't go back and do the rest of them now, but I will talk about this now. So many fabulous people. Such a great con. I, I, I actually stayed at the Westin this time, so I did not have to drive in and out of Charlotte all day long. I could actually hang out and go to my hotel and crash. Shared an elevator with uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick. 
I, it's like getting comical. I run into her so much. I was going to say coffee shops, elevators. I know it's, it's really wacky. Like I'm starting to tell Kelly Sue Deconic stories. Like I bump into her so much. It's, it's, I don't know. They, they definitely remember the, the loud guy in a cowboy hat. I, I, I stick out to people. Um, not too many of those at comic book conventions. Not, no. No, I'm starting to see more. So if I'm starting Uh-oh. a trend, I'm gonna have to start. I know I'm gonna start whooping some people's asses. This is a this is a, a one cowboy hat industry. You just need to switch to a different hat. <laughs> no, I, I I don't want to get. I, I don't necessarily want to. You get, may get a you may get a uh, a stovepipe hat. Not a bad choice. I, that is a terrible choice. I am not <laughs> doing that. I am I am not gonna do it, buddy. Oh God. Um. I guess let me just sort of run through and I'll talk about uh, the different books, prints. I bought original art this time. Everybody is absolutely fabulous. Um, I'll sort of end up talking about um, – I'll start out with prints, then go into original art, and then I'll try and just talk about friends and buddies and you know other, other um, connections at the con. It's really – God, it's really great. Um, do you know Revenger? I've he, seen uh, it. I have not does, read it. We should do it for book club. It's really good. Um, like it's kind of weird that it's as good as it is because it looks very naive, but there's something really, there's something that works about it. Like it's so simple and it's so charming. Like I really want to do fan art. I just really like the character. I think Chuck Forsman is like, I really sort of glossed over him, you know, the, the time or two before when I had seen him at cons. I really blew him off, but his work is strong. I think I might even have to buy a page from him because it's really nice looking, and I think he's a really cool dude and really want to do a piece of fan art for him. Um, but he's he's kind of part of uh, the Michelle Fife uh, Bergen Street crew, I think, that they're uh, you know indie publishers, and mm-hmm. I think he, he writes, draws, and publishes it himself, and it's it's good. Uh, at the very least, I will uh, lend you my copy. You can read it really quickly. It's uh, it's not a dense piece of literature, but it is a uh, it's like it's like the Mel Gibson movie Payback. You know, it's like that. People crossing streets diagonally. Sure, I don't know what that means. That's the that's the thing I'm most him getting hit with a hammer and him crossing streets diagonally. That's. It's more that getting hit with a hammer. That's he. It's more that. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, got to throw some bucks at uh, at uh, Fife again. He is a very cool dude. Um, I he got uh, me. The, he did insult you. I uh, I don't know what it is, man. He hates you. Well, I I don't want to bring it up. To, you know, no. air out dirty laundry. It's it's true. It's a real problem. Whatever you did to him, man. I, I don't know. Maybe you should apologize. He just wouldn't accept it. <laughs> Fee-Face is, is fucking awesome. Uh, I bought his art book. I bought the two copies of the new Copra and uh, Copra versus DD. I assume it's DD, don't you? It's I spelled D-Y-D-Y. I mean, that's, that. that makes sense, like, as a name. But if it was Die Die, that'd be very, you know. Uh, it would it would fit thematically. Yeah, but the character I don't... looks the character looks like DD. It's probably DD, and then it's supposed to allude to the fact that it's die die. I guess so, but that they're great. Um, I I am definitely doing a piece of Copra fan art, which I will I'll show you at some point. Um, 
Then a couple of other indie comic uh, writers that I met, uh, Mags Visaggio and Katie Rex. Uh, Mags, I think they both sort of, they write and edit each other's books. Um, uh, Kim and Kim and Jade Street Protection Services, both of them uh, I, I picked up copies of. I, I, I recommend checking them out. They're nice looking books. I'm not listing the artists, but the art is pretty solid. I just did not meet the artists. I'm mostly talking about stuff I bought from people that I met. Um, also met Jake Wyatt. Do you know Jake Wyatt's art? The he worked on Miss Marvel, didn't he? It, it would be a good fit for him if I, he did. I, I Jake, think, I, I believe he did for a bit. Jake Wyatt is a um, he's really good. He actually. That was probably the longest Twitter exchange I've had with him as he and I talked about. He did a guest speaking thing at my college, and he apparently my uh, illustration teacher is still hanging in there. She's still the head of the illustration department, and she's done a complete 180, and now she's like, oh, yeah, comic books are a good thing. She was, she did not care for them when I went through there, <laughs> and I am salty about this. Um, but yeah, Jake Wyatt, he's kind of a combination of Sam Bosma meets, uh, Afu-chan. Um, he did work on Miss Marvel. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. Jake is very talented. Did not get much of a chance to talk to him, but I picked up his book version two. Uh, talked to Ryan Brown again. Ryan Brown of God Hates Astronauts. Uh, just absolutely bananas book. He's got a new book out called Blast Furnace that he sort of did just to sort of wind down that he would spend one hour one hour writing and drawing a page. This whole book, every page he has spent one hour on. And I have not read it. I'm really excited about reading it. it because I, I'm sure it's insane because when he plans things, they're bananas. I can't imagine how nuts this book is. I think he had, I think he had worked on something called Blast Furnace before God Hates Astronauts. It was a short thing. Okay. And I think think he kick-started this thing mm -hmm. this this version of it where it's i don't know I, it, that's just me re remembering there's a, there's a kickstarter ended. it's something he's certainly been teasing this for quite some time yeah i'm really looking forward to reading it the guy is he's a drawing motherfucker i really like his insane drawings he's such a fucking weirdo i i don't know i the world is better for ryan brown existing um, I also picked up a copy of Space Riders from uh, Fabian Wrangle and Alexis Zirat. I, I actually had this whole time, because I'm a dum-dum, thought Fabian Wrangle, I didn't realize he was the writer, and Alexis was the artist for this. I just assumed Fabian was, and I never followed Alexis. Uh, they also make probably the thing that I'm proudest to own, the drink coffee, make comics shirts. Ah, uh, okay. I, 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 it was the thing that I regretted the most missing out on an last con because they were selling these and i'm like i work in the t-shirt industry i'm not gonna buy t-shirts and all this past year i have wanted that goddamn shirt so he printed up new ones i bought both designs i'm so incredibly happy but i have not yet read uh, space riders also bought an original page from uh, alexis but i'll talk about that again in a minute um i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce paulina's last name I'm going to say Ganacho. Sounds, I don't that looks know. right. Ganacho, I, I, I don't know. But she has illustrated a book called Zodiac Star Force. It's written by a fellow named Kevin Panetta. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, to, to quote Fabian Ringel, I'll say this is Sailor Moon done right. <laughs> you, you've seen him tweeting that shit, right? This is like the big joke in, in, in comic book circles now is 
Fabian Ringel saying Spider-Man done right. I have not seen that. No one will remember this in a year. <laughs> I, uh, it's a dumb joke, but everyone's saying it now. It's 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 stuff done right, and it's 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 sweet boy. Oh. That's everyone's that's everyone's joke now. Okay, I'm sure I'll listen to this ten years from now, and I'll be like, "What does that mean?" Zodiac Star Force is amazing. Apart from Revenger, this is the only of these books that I've actually sat down and read. Read. Uh, I would strongly recommend everyone reading Zodiac Star Force. It is everything that's right about Sailor Moon. It's got a lot less of the garbage and baggage of Sailor Moon. <laughs> it's really nicely drawn. It's fun. It's cute. I I definitely think everyone should read it. It is a solid comic book. Uh, all ages, really good. I was very happy to buy it. And uh, Paulina is uh, a very good illustrator. It is a nice, nice book. Um, I also bought a book called SF from my friend Ryan Cecil Smith. Uh, fellow North Carolinian, North Cackalackian, although you'd never know it to, to meet the guy. He makes me think of my brother, you know, he's like very upright and proper. Um, but I really like Ryan's whole shtick. He's very print oriented, uh, very craft oriented with the books that he makes. Um, uh, very, uh, space adventure kind of stuff, you know. Do you know who Leiji Matsumoto is? Nope. Uh, it's, you should look him up. He's a, a a comic artist, and he launched a lot of shows like Captain Harlock and Galaxy Express Three Nine. You know, back in I guess the eighties. You know Captain Harlock, right? Not sure. That's okay if you don't. It's 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 a famous manga and anime. Did you ever see the? Uh, I I know I've mentioned the Daft Punk videos that came out when you probably would have been in late high school or early college. Nope. Also, Leiji Matsumoto. I'm, I, I'm, you're, what, what are what are you doing with your life? Uh, let's see. In college, I went to okay. I went to IHOP a lot. Congratulations! I went to and I, I went to I went to Perkins a lot. Um, I got to meet Tamra Bonvillain. Uh, she told me that's how to pronounce her name. Good. Okay. Cool. I didn't know what to get from her, so I got the big uh, super edition of Wayward. Cool. And I, I talked to her about uh, my man crush on John Rouch, who doesn't do cons. I'll probably never meet him and have him military press me. Um, did get to throw a couple bucks at Kelly Sue, bought a copy of Bitch Planet because I did not own a trade, and got it signed. Man Val, who does the artwork, was there, uh, the artist of Bitch Planet. Mm -hmm. And I was so disappointed because he's showing me all the pages for the first couple of issues of bitch planet and he's like yeah these aren't for sale and i'm like fuck you they're not for sale <laughs> i was so angry like i don't know he may never sell them he may sell them for ten thousand dollars for the covers you know 10 years from now who knows i mean clearly the guy's worth it and they're beautiful and i don't you get a, such a different sense of how comic art looks you know, when you see like a, a a naked page, when you just see ink lines on a board, it looks so much more alive. Um, it's oh god, I don't know. It was so exciting to see it. You called and I, me, I so and pumped. yeah, I know. I, I, I was at a board game store, and you're like, "How much should I offer him?" I'm like, "I don't know. Probably if you have to ask, you probably can't afford it." Mm. 
no, I can I can afford it. I could throw a ton of money at him, but it would not be smart of me. Well, that's what I mean. Reasonably I, afford. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's there's numbers that I could throw out there, but I'm not. I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I want to, to I want to lowball him, but I also don't want to insult the man. I'd rather just not insult the man and wait until he's ready to sell. It's probably the smarter thing. Really, he should approach someone like Out of Step Arts or um, I can't remember the other people. The guy's name is Pablo, but he runs Trad Moore, uh, the, the, the gallery that does Trad Moore and some other people. Declan Shalvey is one of yes. the handles. Yes. So you've, you, you've dealt with them because you bought a Declan Shalvey page. What are they called? Uh, Cadence. Cadence, that's Cadence right. Cadence Comic Art. Um, I also met a Mr. Ben Sears. I do not have his book with me. It's at my office. Really beautiful book. Um, kind of makes me think of Fez. I talked to him. It's not. I, I typed Bean Sears. That's really funny. I was gonna say. I'm like, is he spell his name Bean? But he's no. I am a dumb dumb. Is what's funny. That's actually um, spell it Bean. But no, no, no. It's Ben. It is. I. I I'm assuming it's Ben at this point. I, his name could have been Jonathan. I'm not just that bad a typist. I, t- I typed Bean. I'm really hungry when I'm typing this. No, I, it, it makes me think of uh, Fez, kind of. And I, 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 uh, I told him, like, it'd be great to see you do, uh, like, an indie game, like, do art direction for that. I think you would transition really well to that. And I, I don't know. It's a dumb thing that someone at a con says. He was a really cool guy. He was sitting next to uh, Dustin Harbin, who I, I bought an original from, too, and I'll get to that in a minute. Also got to meet Color and Matt. Matt Wilson bought his Wicked and Divine covers. And I floated the idea of uh, sending him an illustration and commissioning him to color it and using that uh, for a mural somewhere, because I probably told you I, uh, I really want to do murals. So I think that would be an exciting thing to do. Be cool. Yeah, it would be amazing. Um, I also met the coolest person. Her name was Chan Chow, uh, and I bought her Undertale fan art called Sounds of the Underground. I just walked by and ran. I just expected it to be some dumb interaction with someone in Artist Alley, but she was, like, super cool, and she hung out with me, like, the, later that night at the at the bar, and we I, I showed her my screen prints, which I had bought, and I gave her one. Um, but like a two plus hour conversation about print and screen printing. And she's just a very, very cool person. It was, um, it was super cool to meet her. And I tried introducing her to Ryan, uh, Ryan Cecil Smith, but you know, they were out wandering around. They eventually, uh, hooked up and met, which was pretty cool. Um, speaking of Ryan Cecil Smith again, I actually bought, some stickers from his wife. She is just like the cutest thing. And these stickers were really, really funny. And I think like they actually hand cut them after they print them. They're, they're a a cute family of craftsmen. I really like the stuff that they do, but I have stickers of junk food that, uh, uh, I think her name is Sakaya, Sakaya Smith. She drew junk food stickers and I have them on my laptop now. It, It fills me with joy. And I got you a poster for the thing. You saw, I sent you the picture of it, didn't I? You did. I like it. I like the thing. I like that poster. You want to describe what you texted back to me when I texted you that picture? Well, I can. Let me. <laughs> you don't remember. I, know, I, I want to get it precisely correct. There it I, is. I remember exactly what it says. It's, well, you text me the, the picture, the, the poster. Uh, 
And I replied with a picture of of a of literally at that exact moment when you mm-hmm. sent me that text yes. of me wearing a t-shirt that has the thing on it. Uh <laughs> and it said it's almost like you know me. Yes. I showed that picture of you to David Muscotti, who is the artist um who designed and uh did you know did all the art for that poster. He had a whole his shtick was really good. He's much more of a designerly sort of screen printer. Um, very clean, very, very cool, type-oriented, really tight stuff. Uh, I really like his work. It's exciting to see people doing not just bullshit print stuff, like people that really seem to care about print and doing a real product. Like, the person that excites me the most is my friend, uh, Alexander. And I can't pronounce Alexander's... How, do you see him down here? It's it's Icarino. I'm a, yeah, I, I've all, I've said Icarino as well, and I don't know. I have never actually asked him how to pronounce his last name. He goes by that kid who draws. That's his. Uh, ah, okay. That's his brand all over the internet. Uh, and if you are not familiar, he is definitely one you should Google. He makes the. He's one of the coolest illustrators and and screen printers that I know. And we just I don't know. It's just so fun hanging out with him and getting jacked up talking shop and talking about print Eric, pause for one moment sure enough okay never mind i pulled up a video here okay well wait let's try again yaccarino there yaccarino that's the italian pronunciation of that yep that sounds about right yaccarino yaccarino i think that's fine i i uh i don't know i don't know either uh, he might pronounce it differently. I mean, that's what Tamara Bonvillain said was that, you know, it's a French name, mm-hmm. Ta- not Tamara, 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 um, that it's a French name, but she says she pronounces it Bonvillain. And I'm like, well, that's the canonical spelling or that's the canonical pronunciation because it's your goddamn name. <laughs> yep. You decide. Yeah. You are the decider. <laughs> um, but yeah, David Muscotti. Alexander Yaccarino, I don't know. Sorry, Alex, I'm a dumb dumb. <laughs> um, so let me roughly, let me quickly go through the original art. Um, you you know that I I really like hip hop. I I do know that you. I mean, it like it's kind of weird still still to me like that I'm a hip hop fan, but I really like hip hop. I really like MF Doom, and I bought Chris. I, I Chris Visions is a stellar illustrator. I think I wish more people knew about his drawings. I I don't know. The the shit he does, I wish I could do it. But I bought his MF Doom. It was a steal. I if I had not just dropped a ton of other cash, I would absolutely go back and buy more. The guy is so so good. And such a such a cool and humble guy. Like I I literally can't wait for next year to see him again and probably buy more art from him because this guy just keeps getting better. Did you see his preacher? No. You should just Google Chris Vision's preacher. It is possibly the best thing I've seen by the guy. It's really goddamn cool. Like that they need to do like they should do a ser- like a comic series based on the show and he should illustrate it. <laughs> they should do that. They absolutely should do that. I would buy it. It'd be gorgeous. You've you've seen his work too. He did. Um, I know. I pointed him out when he did uh, Constantine that we read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that guy. Yeah. Uh, the other big name that I got that I'm like crazy excited about 
uh, was I got a page from Legend of Luther Strode by Trad Moore. Trad's pretty nuts. I don't think he's a human being. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure he's a drawbot. He he holds his he's left-handed and he twists his arm in like a like a little like a little shriveled claw holds the pen with his fist and then like puts his face like right on it but like every line he draws is like a plotter it's amazing i cannot like i watched him do this to sign the page and it really is machine like precision the guy is pretty incredible uh i bought an andrew mclean page from a uh a really nice looking Rick and Morty comic where the focus is on the the silly ball fondler show. Are you familiar? Uh, no. I mean, I know Rick and Morty. Obviously, I do not. Well, there's a there's a there's a show within the show Rick and Morty, and it's called Ball Fondlers. And they made a comic, and Andrew McLean drew it, and it's amazing. <laughs> uh, I bought two originals from Jen Bartel. Holy crap! Um, I bought a Mystique and I bought a Bellatrix Lestrange. Jen is kind of incredible like i i don't know she is a she's a goddamn star people are people are going to be saying her name a lot in the next couple of years um i also got a little commission from natalie anderson who is uh, a compadre of uh ryan cecil smith they always table together she does a lot of designer lease type stuff but she did like a little a little uh cowboy wizard she designed a cowboy wizard for me and it's delightful i think uh next year i'm gonna get a cowgirl to go with it uh i also bought a page from alexis Zirat for a comic book project that i don't even remember it was just like a nice paul popish sort of um wasteland town scene i thought it looked really great so it was a steal uh i got some handsome um risograph prints from ryan cecil smith i got some pinups from robert ullman original piece from Dustin Harbin, who did the lettering on um, Scott Pilgrim, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's really good. Like, I think, like, Dustin Harbin's a really great artist, and I think that, I I don't know, he's the kind of person that I wish had more mainstream success other than a little, uh, doing something like that on a book like that. But he's definitely a great letterer. His typography is very choice. Uh, I also met uh, Catherine Hudson, which we had apparently followed each other just before the con, and that was kind of, I, I introduced myself, like, hey, you just followed me, and I bought a pinup and a Princess Peach drawing from her, and she was super great, and she had a, a Mississippi accent, and assured me that she did not have a Mississippi accent. She was almost angry about it. Um, and real quick, just some other people that I met that were super great. I got to meet Jamel Jones, uh, Brandon, Brandon, Jonathan, Brandon Sawyer, and I forget Pompadorable Cat's name, but that's sort of her brand on the internet and on Instagram and stuff. And Alex introduced me to Julie Godwin, who's also sort of, it's so weird how everyone knows everyone. It's kind of fascinating. Um... But Julie was very cool, and I also got to reconnect with uh, M, Emily Helen, who is working on a secret book with Oni Press, and I am really excited to see it. She showed me some of the the layouts and sketches and stuff, and I I think probably this time next year, 
we'll be uh, we'll be talking about her her new book with Oni. So I'm really pumped up about that. So that's that's a lot. That's that, that, that was my Heroes Con experience. It was intense. Yeah, dude, it was action, goddamn packed. I'm still even now leaving out some stuff. I'm I'm tired just reliving all that. <laughs> it was amazing. And seriously, I know that was like if you are not one of the people that I just named, <laughs> if you are one of the people that I just named, you need to look up everyone that I just named, the ones that you don't already know because they're awesome. And you are awesome. Uh, but yeah, there's amazing, amazing people. And Heroes Con is like magical fairyland. It's, uh, I don't know, it's even better than Dragon Con was. It's just like focused. It's all the stuff that I love and a lot less walking around. It's beautiful. Yeah, I really want to go. Yeah, we'll have to go someday. I'm probably going to, I'm most likely going to table next year at heroes if i can get in i don't think it should be a problem if i uh if i talk to them early enough i'm we're we'll see what we can do next year hey man you 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 can come up and be my booth babe i well my depends on how much time we have off and i understand my sister it's, it is, is getting married uh yes within probably within a, two weeks of heroes con oh dear if Heroes Con is at the same time it was, it was. So just take year. two months off right oh, around there. Yeah, be fine. Just, that's what I'm doing right now. It's not working out perfectly. <laughs> just, just, just to sponge off your, your wife. She's making that fat Bioware stacks. Canadian dollars. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the whole economy just crashed because Brexit. Brexit. We're all, we're all going to die in a pit of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> eh, I think we'll be fine. Uh, humanity will continue. Uh, probably so. Probably. Um, I think that'll do it for checking in, right? I think that's enough. We we did we did a bunch. We did we sure did a whole whole bunch. Uh, and we can move on to our uh, our last segment. We can move on to our uh our discussion with Matt Ham about Dark Knight Returns. Uh, with that, it is time for Nerd Boy Book Club. Nerdboy Book Club is the part of the show where Eric and I will assign a longer collected work and discuss it in depth, like you would in a book club. This week, we are doing for episode 150, we're doing Batman, Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller, Klaus Jensen, Lynn Varley. We are joined, that's right, by Matthew Hamm. Mm-hmm. No, don't tell them my real name. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll a- turn into a pumpkin. A.K.A. the hamster. The hamster. Thank you, I appreciate that. Hambone. Dr. Hamster. Hamburger. Hamburglar. Uh-huh. Hamburglar. Robin Robble. Robble. On multiple occasions, I will steal all your ham. Matt is my co-host from Simpsons Show Podcast. We're doing a crossover this week. And Matt had some thoughts about The Dark Knight Returns on Twitter, you know, I don't know, a month or two ago. And uh, it is a certainly an important comic, probably after Watchmen, the, mo- the most important it, it well, it, I think it's funny when you say the most important because it, it feels like comic books weren't really taken super seriously before Watchmen. No one thought they could be dark and gritty, really, with the occasional junky sidekick uh, aside. Uh, and then I think Watchmen came along, and then this came along, and people realized, hey, comic books can be for adults. And then we got the '90s, but mm-hmm. you know, it recovered after that. Eric, you had texted me 
mysteriously during this week, you're like... how I don't see how it's so mysterious. I guess it's not super mysterious. But you're like, this is different than I remember it. <laughs> yeah, it's it is a little different than I remember. What do you re- I, I might have only I might have only remembered it once or twice. I just just vague flashes of mutants and, you know, angry gangs with mohawks and people getting punched and then it was over. I don't think I really took much from it when I read it as a younger man. I I I think I've uh learned a lot of things about Frank Miller. Oh no. Or maybe maybe I've learned nothing about Frank, Frank Miller maybe. It's. About Frank Miller, about yeah. politics and about Batman. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Hmm. What do you remember? Just the mutants and the punching? Not, yeah. Okay. Not much. Now, have you, was the time when you were tweeting about this, had you read this before then? Or is that the first time? I did. Oh, actually, those tweets were not actually when I was reading it. It was when I was watching the DC animated uh, universe, the uh, movie they put out that was based on this. Mm-hmm. And I, I had read the comic two or three years ago uh and i remember enjoying it and being like this is a pretty good batman then i watched the movie and i just hated it uh and i reread it again this week and i i picked up on a lot of stuff that i didn't the first time around and comparing it to the uh animated film there's really no comparison because a lot of the stuff like i'm gonna say i really enjoyed this uh i just there are a few sticking points about it that i really don't like that we can get into a little bit later uh because you can hear uh batman slash bruce's thoughts throughout this and that makes such a huge difference and that's not the kind of thing you get in an animated movie in an animated movie you just get to hear what people say and without the inner monologue that bruce has for a lot of this uh his coming to terms with not being batman anymore and the struggle of batman to get out and and be once more in the world uh i've realized that adds a ton especially to the first issue i don't know if you guys have trade paperbacks but i got the uh the four individual issues uh to mm-hmm. read this and uh it's very interesting because they are uh they're about 50 pages long and they treat e- each one of those four issues is not really a self-contained story um but there's a like a beginning arc and an end arc for example the first one i think is about the mutants uh and you know batman you know beating them up and becoming their leader um because when i originally read this and in the movie that is most of the arc uh, it's, it starts with, you know, Batman, you know, uh, versus the mutants and that kind of ends the movie. And in my recollection, that was the end of the, uh, whole comic. But in reality, the first one, he basically beats up the mutants and, uh, defeats their leader and that's it. And then you get two more issues of other stuff going on where now instead of you have the mutant gang, you have, uh, the Batman gang, which he really has nothing to do with. He, he doesn't really pay attention to them at all until the fourth issue when they come back in and he organizes them. So it's very weird to try and compare this to one reading it back when I was first getting into comics and then the movie because the movie leaves out so much that is critically important to the story. Did you make sure you watched part one and part two? Oh, uh, I did. Oh, yes. Okay. I haven't watched it, but I know there's two parts to it. Um, no, I have it. So it's separated by the, I just, I've had the 10th anniversary edition, whatever that mm-hmm. is, but it has them separated into the four different chapters. This actually oh. I mean considering how much when I was reading this, I could not stop thinking about Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, though this came out, I mean, they were they overlapped, but this the first issue of this came out before the first issue uh, issue of Watchmen came out. I really, I thought Watchmen was further back than that. No, Watchmen was in September '86, and this was February of '86. Hmm. They definitely feel like they come out of the same political climate. They do. Yeah, they do. Um, 
there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot in both of these of paranoia, um, mm-hmm. especially in uh, essentially the same thing happens in both of them uh, with whereas the government basically shuts down all the superheroes like the superheroes come out of like the 40s and 50s, you know, the, the paranoia about war and that sort of thing. Uh, and then the government steps in once, you know, peace is, is, you know, the order of the day and shuts down the superheroes in both of these because in Dark Knight Returns, the only superhero pretty much still around is Superman and he's at the back and call of ronald reagan and in watchmen is that who that all, was that was all... ronald reagan i didn't i could not tell <laughs> couldn't yeah so not obvious no uh-huh. I, I thought it was i thought it was just a wrinkly jelly bean man <laughs> wrinkly jelly bean man from now on whenever i talk to republicans about ronald reagan that, no. that's how he's gonna be referred to Matt, i think that really was his middle name greatest president ever is ronald hmm. reagan's middle name it is ronald greatest president ever reagan well, as long as we all know who we're talking okay. about here. Yeah, that's very uh, true. <laughs> um, but it's very interesting because the same thing happened with Nixon and Dr. Manhattan. He was like their, their go-to superhero who basically did what they said, and the rest of the superheroes have either gone underground or disappeared. Yeah, and that I, – I don't, I don't – there's so much to talk about in this. I'm not sure where to actually begin in the text to be scholarly. Mm. Oh, okay. First of all, I, I just wanted to uh, ask you guys, uh, in this particular comic, uh, especially the first issue or the first volume, uh, you get a lot of uh, Bruce talking to himself about uh, trying to deny Batman inside of himself. And I always thought that was a really interesting way to basically represent Batman as this like urge that Bruce has to essentially keep in check. It's always in trying to get out. And I thought that it was a very good characteristic of a batman is that that's that's how he feels is like he has this burning drive to you know i don't want to say brutalize criminals but a burning drive for justice and that just comes out by him brutalizing criminals for no reason and well i I don't i do we should probably get into the violence in this i do it is he never kills anyone in this comic book not directly. No, it's okay not even. to break everyone's arms, it, legs, well, back, I, everything, yes, I as long as they don't die. I, well, and, and it's okay to distract criminals so that they shoot each other. So yes. if, if you make a noise outside a window and one of the guy opens up with a uh, a saw onto a, a well, squad assault Batman weapon into he, one of his buddies, he can't control someone with a machine gun, Matt. He's not. So I can't. I'm not going to blame. Okay, I think a lot of. I think all. Almost all of my criticism of this comic book really isn't the f- necessarily the fault of this comic. It is the legacy of this comic and the legacy of Watchmen as well. But this comic is probably even more influential because it is a Batman comic. You know, Watchmen That's... is they're they were Charlton heroes, but you know, Alan Moore and, and Dave Gibbons made them their own thing. Um, but I don't know. In my edition, there's a foreword by Frank Miller. I don't know if you guys have have that in anywhere you've seen it at all no. um mine starts with an article written by jimmy olsen <laughs> <laughs> was this before when we it was in drag we went in blackface we, which jimmy olsen phase was this <laughs> i have no idea uh, oh, okay. but it, this in my forward by frank miller he's he talks about basically how this came about and uh batman was sales were down um DC Comics as a whole weren't doing so great in the late 70s, early 80s, and he had this idea, like, hey, let's move Batman, He and he talks about how he was turning 30, which, the fact he wrote this when he was 30 years old makes... It's pretty nuts. Yeah, he, well, and Batman, Bruce Wayne... Plus is, cynicism for a 30-year-old. Well, 
I mean, he was a salty old man at thirty. He was <laughs> Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is twenty nine. Was twenty nine permanently, basically. And Frank Miller had this thing where he's like, "I'm older than Batman now." You know, Batman is now younger than me. The thing that you say every every handsome boys exactly <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do, and uh, it's he had this crisis of like, "I'm older than Batman." So what happens if I wrote a story where Batman was an old man, basically, or an older man? You know, he's not. He's in his. He's what sixty? You know, they don't really. They say mm-hmm. twice his age, so this is 50, 60. Fair Something enough like to that. assume about 60. Yeah. And he he was bouncing that off. What the, one of the it's in here somewhere. Dick Giordano, Dick, Dick Giordano, who was editor in chief at DC Comics and he loved this idea and this is what happened and this and Watchmen both published by DC um kind of revitalized them and ushered in what became as the modern age of comic books and what, and like Matt said, the the nineties then happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't know. I feel like Watchmen is much more clear thematically about what it's saying about how superheroes are moving to the, or to a darker and darker place. And it's, I don't, and Watchmen certainly isn't um, optimistic about that. Definitely not. No, and I I feel like it, it telegraphs it a little bit more. Well, this book seems to not nest. It definitely has that same feeling of like the society is crumbling, and there are no superheroes left, and superheroes now have to be darker and brutaler and and. Uh, I don't. Know. I don't really see a logical connection between those two points, but go on. I don't. <laughs> what between what? The, oh, superheroes have to go underground, so therefore they have to be more brutal. I, I I don't see your logical bridge there. Well, no, but the criminals have become more brutal. Like that's like well, yeah, and the, well, that's what I mean. Like, and the stories are being told are not like the mutant leader in this. You know, he is a like he he goes on the news and says, "I'm going to eat you and rape your 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 wife and then eat her or I don't know when you know wow <laughs> like." Literally, like, it's just, it's very black and white. Like, these villains are not colorful anymore. They're just monsters. And so the Batman has to be darker or whatever. Uh, uh, but I'm not, and th- that's what I mean. Like, I don't, I don't feel like it's clear in this book if that's good or not. Like, I know, like, society's going bad, so Batman has to be back, but the end is very optimistic. Batman doesn't die. He's still alive and he's ready to fight the war. And I don't war against brutal criminals yeah. that exist that the regular police can't handle, which I kind of feel like, well, I, I was kind of feeling like that basically the mutants are in this book because this kind of like super, again, brutal response to criminals wouldn't work against your average purse snatcher or bank robber because they're not really hurting people. Whereas the mutants are essentially crazy people who are only out in the beginning of the very first volume, uh, two mutants come up on Bruce and are like, are going to try and kill him. But like, Oh, I can't get into it. If, uh, you know, they're, if they're into it, which is a really weird thing. There are very few people in this world that are like, Oh, I just want to kill this guy to kill this guy. Uh, I mean, there are serial killers. That's true. But most people have some type of, uh, monetary gain in, in, in mind when they want to kill somebody, they don't want to do it. And I feel like this brutal Batman really only works if the criminals are insane like that. Have, have either of you guys read Freakonomics? Yes. 
there's there's a part in I of course you've read it, Matt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've read it and the two sequels. There's uh, I haven't read those, um, but there's a part in it where they talk about the super predator. Then um, this was apparently a real thing that people used to believe in, and maybe we mentioned it a little bit when we talked about Watchmen about how incre- incredibly like apocalyptically afraid everyone was of teenagers in the mid to late 80s and they thought like you know because of all the 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 crack gangs and there was there were huge spikes in 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 crime but everyone was like everyone was just positive that the whole world was going to be road warrior in a couple of years so it <laughs> i don't know clearly frank miller is was sure that that was going to happen immediately and only batman could save us that's true, because if if teenagers become super criminals, uh, the police definitely can't handle that. Nope, mm-hmm. they have all the stuff the Batman has, but they don't have the political will to do it. So clearly, clearly going out and beating up everyone and breaking their arms and legs is the right way to right way to live. That's true. I, I thought the there are a couple of interesting characters uh, that I found in this. One of which was the. Uh, Oh, he was the psychiatrist uh, that basically <laughs> declared Harvey Dent and the Joker. That, cheer yeah, him. wow. Oh man, that guy. I mean, well, uh, it, that is. I mean, I feel like that one is like a early precursor of like of a stereotypical what we like the the bleeding heart liberal character. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he's 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 very clearly uh, like a far right conservative caricature of like oh i don't trust these quote unquote experts that they just want to put murderers on the street and it's such a joke he's like the he's exactly like the epa guy from ghostbusters and that he has yeah. like no motivation other than he's just like okay here's this antagonist and he's like and i don't know i expect bill murray to just tell him he has no dick it doesn't <laughs> happen in this book that does not happen in this book um I'm really sad. Batman's like, he has no dick. <laughs> right before the Joker gasses them all. It's true. Yeah. And when you, and again, an, a psychiatrist has a large part to play in Watchmen as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it is certainly much more interesting. A little more, a little more even handed. Yeah. And more yeah. than this guy. I think that probably uh, spells out the difference between how Frank Miller sees the world and how Alan Moore sees the world. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, in uh, your, that fear of the of gangs and crime i mean it it was already kind of being seen in comics like the punisher mm-hmm. existing and the the birth of the anti-hero and like this is people talk about how this and watchmen were the birth of this you know the grim and gritty comics but the 70s were already kind of moving in this direction this is kind yeah. of an mm-hmm. exclamation point that kind of just ended all kind of pretense of like, hey, comics are fun. No, comics are adult stories for adults. Um, it's like, hey, you grew up reading fun comics, but now you're an adult, so you can handle how the way the real world is. Yeah. Um, Eric, does this, did, did you, I, like, as much as I can, like, there's like a very much a, like a cognitive dissonance going on in my head with this book. Because I really, really like it, and I still really, really like it. But that psychiatrist character, the you know the the wimpy mayor, the yeah, the wimpy <laughs> all the politicians basically in this comic. Yeah. There's like there's no nuance to any of them. Um, mm-hmm. 
there is as much as people make this Batman versus Superman comic, I like you can clearly see there's there is some nuance there in their relationship, and that's why I, I and what is lost, I think, in the aftermath of this is the context of Batman and Superman that led up to this mm-hmm. comic book. You know, thirty plus years of history of them together in DC Comics, all all those stories. I think contextually has to like has to fill in the blanks in their relationship, but I still can see it. it I don't know. Does it still live up to? Hey, it's the Dark Knight Returns in your mind, or are all those flaws too much for you? Honestly, I didn't really have. This is this has never been one of my uh, one of my be all do all comics. Okay. This is this is not the exalted comic that Watchmen always was. I mean, I I read it and I'm like, well, this is a this is a Frank Miller book, and f- <laughs> at least for me, I kind of don't understand. I mean, ob- obviously in context, I get it, but outside of that context, it's hard for me to see it as anything but a product of that environment and of you know the kind of dark. Uh, the dark and hateful person that Frank Miller kind of is inside. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I definitely, I appreciate the influence. I, I think it is something that probably everyone should read for, you know, for the sake of history and context. It is a good comic. I, I don't know. It's another reason to, to not really care for Batman, at least in, in this guy's book. Do you not like Batman in this? I don't hate him. I mean, it's it's interesting, and it definitely has its moments. And I I I do like I don't know I like the upbeat ending. I it it it's not like it's it's miserable. It is a good comic. I don't think I don't think it really stands amongst like the greatest comics of all time. At least to me, if on on my list, it would be much further down than number two. Is but like, mm-hmm. is Batman likable in this? Eh, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a. I don't know that that anyone is. I think maybe maybe Robin is. I was gonna say Carrie Kelly is a pretty likable character, even though yeah. she had the easiest Robin audition of all time. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> let me drag you back to the tank. Well, you're Robin now. I'm Bruce Wayne. I, I, you bought some colorful pajamas. Now you're Robin. Yeah, and we haven't read it. Uh, I know you've, you guys. Okay, have you guys read Year One recently? Not recently. Not recently. No. Okay. It's it came after this. This came first. Um, even though it came right after this, like literally, like the, the next year, Year One came out, and kind of along with um, John Byrne kind of restarting Superman like after crisis like this it, it, this kind of right is this moment is when they kind of rebooted things again and this is kind of became non-canon canon you know mm. like obviously this is a alternate future Batman but that year one Batman certainly is basically becomes hey for sure this is the beginning this is how Batman's story begins. And, well, that was that was how pre New Fifty Two Batman story began. Yeah, exactly. And well, <laughs> although I, there was wasn't a series of the the recent. Did you guys just do the New Fifty Two Batman? And wasn't there a year one section of the New Fifty Two? Zero year, yes, yes. Zero year, zero yeah. year. That's the one. Yeah, which is the best part of that. Um, <laughs> I forget what I was going for. 
Um, Sorry. No, it's okay. I was trying to like likable characters, but th- that is year one is so much more grounded. It is very much like mm-hmm. a much simpler story. It's like Batman fighting gangsters and and police corruption. And this story is so it's 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 much that is much more of a dude in a costume fighting crime. This is much more a superhero story. Like you have this is this is Batman versus the apocalypse. Yes, essentially, yeah. Especially because uh, in Batman and all of his uh, you know year one or year zeros or whatever they are. He's always just starting out and you get a kind of idea of what he wants to do and why he does this. And I feel like that's the best part of The Dark Knight Returns is you get to see him after he's done it and he's basically quit and you see him still really wanting to do that. Uh, and I, I feel like one of the big difference between those you know year ones and year zeros for Batman is that you see him really trying to bring about justice and protect people and you kind of get the same feeling in dark knight returns is that's what he wants to do he wants to protect people uh it's just that in dark knight returns he does that by literally bringing people to the brink of death rather than just stopping them from committing crimes like there's a point when he's uh got them got like four of them cornered in some abandoned thing and the two cops are there and the old cops like oh let him let him work son he's he's fine and uh one of the uh punks gets the jump on him has a gun behind him and batman thinks oh there are uh you know seven ways i could get out of this three of them cause instant death three of them uh will give no harm to him one of them will hurt a lot and you see him basically going with the one that will hurt a lot and the the young cop was like there's no reason for that and he's like but he won't do it again will he Sorry, it was the Christian Bale voice there. Swear to me, that's unnecessary. And like, that's that's the weird part of this Batman is, is basically Batman is a pretty good character in Dark Knight Returns, but everybody else is absolutely insane. Whereas in more of the year one, year zero kind of stuff or zero year, everyone else there, some people are good, some people are bad. It's more of a rounded view instead of Batman's the only sane person left. We have to follow him, kind of thing. Well, I I think that's. It's the hard part about the context of this book is the fact that it mm-hmm. takes place in a obviously, you know, dystopian time frame, even though it is, has Ronald Reagan as president, but it is, it's set in, I mean, Reagan was president when this came out. I don't know why he's, he's dictator for life. I guess so. I guess it, I don't know how old and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a supposed year. When it's just the fu- the near future, the f- where Batman is old, but thirty years in the future, but Reagan is still president somehow. Um, but uh, it, that is like this is not, and I th- I don't know. It's that seems to be the lesson though that a lot of comic books learn from this is that Batman needs to be the right guy and be able to beat up people. Like, I don't know, like, it doesn't necessarily, like, hey, but remember that this takes place in a, like, a dystopian place where, like, the police force is ineffective and, like, I I don't necessarily agree with how Frank Miller is framing this story with the, cre- you know, the stereotypical uh, bleeding heart liberal psychiatrist and the ineffectual politicians and, you know, the, the distrustful police force and all that stuff, but... The facts are, are as they are laid out in this story are that the police force can't handle the gangs. The politicians want to negotiate with them and then they get their throats ripped out. Like, and obviously those gangs are like at least the leader for sure. And some of the members are like sociopaths. Right. Do you, do you know what this reminds me so much of when you describing this? This is basically Batman as Judge Dredd. It, I mean, yeah. it's not too far from that. No, it, yeah, it probably, not at all, but it doesn't. 
the only problem is I Judge Dredd clearly like for the most part oh, yeah. is just like very aware that it is a parody of mm-hmm. this. Yes. Like it is a like yes. hey, this is supposed to be like tongue in cheek and obviously yes, there are militant police forces in the world, but and this is what this is making fun of. <laughs> Not this is the good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's yes. It's Could not I really worried more. that a whole bunch of uh police precincts across the country read this comment and were like, oh man, if the future's gonna be like this, we better get some serious military hardware in here because those cops couldn't handle it. It'd be really bad if the police got militarized. That'd be the worst. It's weird, right? A bunch of if they got a bunch of Batman tanks and assault rifles, whew, we'd be in big trouble. Well they don't have Batman. They don't have that tank literally is what, fifty foot tall? That that Batman tank he has? I don't I think it's at least like twenty twenty five feet. It's, it's at least like three or four people high. Yeah, it, it dwarfs the the mutant leader even, and he is a giant. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. You know, speaking speaking of the mutant leader, I think that's actually the little bit of vulnerability we see in Batman is one of the things that I do enjoy about this. It it you you ask me is he likable, and I think that vulnerability, seeing him like really struggle with his age and lose mm-hmm. to the mutant in the first fight and make some bad decisions and fuck some shit up. I mean, it not only does it uh, raise the stakes and make it a little bit more intense, it, it does make him likable. I, I still wrestle with that question because I don't know if he is like, I mean, I don't know. Once again, maybe I don't even know if Gordon's that likable in this. He's not really. Yeah, I was really, going to say so? Gordon is, I, I, but he's he's kind of not. He, I mean, as a as a like a uh, a force for good and like a stabilizing force in Gotham, he is doing good work. You know, like he is obviously he he under, like he sees the truth and understands what the world is like. But all, like as a character, he he says some rather detestable things. Um well, I, I think when when Gordon is the actual police commissioner and he's in charge, he's a little more of a a, a dick. But when he is no longer in charge and uh, Ellen Yinsen takes over and it's just him going to the store for his wife for all the things she forgot, that made him a lot more likable to me uh, because it's just <laughs> a, a guy who's just like, oh, she forgot the bean sprouts again. And he's not, you know, saying awful things for, to people. For vegetarian beans. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, I, I see that there are like four at least borderline likable characters. There's the two obvious ones, uh, Carrie Kelly and Alfred, um, because basically everything about them is, you know, either oh, yeah. hilarious or, you know, nice people and Alfred's his usual sarcastic self. Uh, and then you've got Batman and Jim Gordon who are, uh, borderline likable. I would, uh, I would say that even... they're interesting. I'm not, I don't, I, I agree with Eric that Batman is like seeing him. And like you and Matt, you said, oh well, I I think this also entered that age thing enters into his brutality because mm-hmm. he doesn't have the room for finesse anymore. He's not a ninja That's anymore. A good point. He's just like a mm-hmm. brawler. He has to play dirty to like not get shot. He like he says the words lucky like ten times at least. Oh yeah, when he's getting shot yeah. at. Like oh, I merely got avoided getting hit with ten bullets. Um, and I th- I think that is important contextually, like. If I, a young Batman is doing the same kind of violence, it is like harsh, but I can accept it when it is a 55 or 60 year old Batman who to have a chance against this 
mutant leader who is basically a mutant, like, he has to throw dirt in his face. He has to, like, you know, he has to play with every dirty trick. He can't hold back his, he has to hit him as hard as he can or else he will die. He will be killed by this man. And, you know, he doesn't have room for, oh, I can also, I can move fast and so I can dodge or stuff like that. And I feel like that is a part of the brutality in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Batman doesn't seem to have a whole lot of gadgets in this. <laughs> like he lists off what's in his utility belt for one of the stars that I remember it. It's it's pretty much like, oh, I've got this spray that will make them relive their worst fears and some batarangs and a grappling hook. That's about all he has. There's no cool things he can use to save his life. He might have some smoke bombs, but but he doesn't really. All he has to go on is his ability to hang out in the shadows and his brutality. So I, no. I, I kind of see where you're coming from and agree with you. Well, Frank, no shark repellent. No, and frankly, I kind of like, well, you need that shark repellent. Uh, you do need that shark. I mean, those guys are basically sharks. That guy has his teeth filed down. He looks like a shark. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was. Oh, also, Bob and Don are hilarious. Those guys are. Was it, was it Don and Rob? I thought. Don and Rob. Sorry, not Bob. Rob. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer the less, uh, and also I think this is also kind of an, this is not necessarily the Batman from the year prior, age 255 or 60. I feel like this is very much like, hey, remember Batman from 1930 or 1935? And now age him 30 years. Yeah, back when Batman used guns. Or, and, or even, you know, well, the fifth, little... or, or the fifties, the, the cheer, like the, hey, fake out cover Batman, or weird, you know, that weird kind of goofy, campy Batman kind of thing. It, you age him this much, he can't be like, as like, it's not, he can't be lighthearted because the world is terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. and he has to, he has to right the wrongs. Um, having recent, like having the master race, oh, that, title is so bad uh be out yeah. <laughs> it's just so bad it's not it's not getting better no it's not every time nope. i say it, i'm just like it's so bad um having that out right now being released you know as for gives gives a sort of context for this um i do want to say that i frank miller's art in this is i i just i like it a lot yeah yes i, I Especially after everyone recently has been so uh, critical of uh, Frank Miller's art uh, on the new uh, The Dark Knight Master Race, uh, the art in this is – it fits so well with the story and everything blends so amazingly well. Yeah, Eric, do you – what? I don't think we've – have we – What's it? What's what are the Frank Miller books we've we we did All Star Superman or All Star Batman? Excuse me. Um, it's a delightful book, yeah, I, I but think. Frank Miller did not draw that. Um, we haven't really discussed in his prime. I, I did in Daredevil, but that was uh, also not, not drawn not, by not him. drawn by him. Um, mm-hmm. In his prime, Frank Miller. Do you? What are your thoughts? I mean, this is palatable. It it doesn't. It doesn't make me want to scream and vomit. Um, yeah, yeah. There are people. It, it is. It is. Um, I, you know, I don't. I don't dislike it. I think it tells the story very well. It's an interesting view into the the mind of a madman. That's. <laughs> I don't know. That's that is one of the things that I always like about about drawings is how much of the way someone thinks you get to see, and it's it's. An even uglier world that that Frank Miller sees inside his head. I don't know. It feels people feel less mushy in this, you know, like that that drawing of Batman or the drawing of uh, Wonder Woman where they look a little deflated. It's sort of not my thing, but um, 
I don't know. It's it's the best work of someone who I don't really enjoy. You know, I'd I'd like to hear someone who's like a real passionate Miller fan uh, uh, talk about this work because I think largely, I don't want to say I'm not qualified to discuss it, but it's it's so completely out of my normal thing that it just it confuses me to look at it. You know, is it just the aesthetic of it? Is it just like, like I, it, I, su- that I suppose so. I, I guess like it's it's like looking at Tim Sale, except it's mushier and not as well drawn. Like I think in the scope of great draftsmen, Miller is not one of them. But I mean, in in that scope of great comic book creators, I mean, even I'm not his biggest fan. I would be an imbecile to remove him from that it would be a stupid omission i mean and even for these drawings because it you know it, it, as weird and confusing as this story is <laughs> i'm not like really lost at any point i i know what the panels are trying to communicate to me you know even if like i'm really confused like well why does that woman have uh buttless chaps with swastikas on her ass like, why does that exist? Oh, well, I, at least I know what's going on. At least I can decipher that it's buttless chaps with swastikas on her ass. Um, I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? What's, what's, what's y'all's opinion on it? I have always, I mean, I have the Batman on a horse mm-hmm. statue figure. I, I, we, we know, you know your tender feelings <laughs> my about tender that. tender feelings about it. Um, yes, yes. And it is hard to pin down why I like it. His art so in this is in particular, obviously, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you describe it as a mushy Tim Sale. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I like it. Like I don't <laughs> think. I mean, you don't always have to give reasons. I it, I why you like something. I, know. I mean, art 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 gives you feelings. That's that is kind of why we make it. You know, and the feeling that you take from it, I mean, that it, it can be hard to describe, but it's, you know, it's it's fine. I, I, I think it in this book in particular, I feel like his style is exactly what this book needs. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is exactly suited for this story. Like, every other story, everything else that he has drawn, uh, I, I feel, I think Daredevil is the closest, but, I mean, Daredevil... They've even made the joke, Red Batman. Like it's not like, mm. <laughs> you know. It, it, and uh, Frank Miller has mentioned that he would tell tell you know bounce ideas off his editor when he was writing Daredevil, and they'd be like, "No, that's a Batman story." Um, which I'm very interested to see. To like, I'd love to get the I like, what's the difference in those people's minds between a Daredevil story and a Batman story? Um, but like his sort of. The best way I could describe it, it feels very much like an ugly, like the ugly aesthetic of this dystopian world clashing with the golden age aesthetic. Hmm. I don't know. Like that picture of, like you have these big, like everything's these little, it's 16 panel pages a lot of the time broken up into different, you know, different combinations but then you got these you know one page of batman on a horse or superman as clark kent just like you know standing 
posing mm-hmm. or him with the weirdest shirt ever. Yeah. Uh, him. It's the puffy shirt from Seinfeld. It, it is, I was about to make that same joke. Uh, <laughs> or, or him and Carrie Kelly flying through the air. Like it's, those are very much, it, it makes me feel very much calls back to like, you know, classic, very superhero poses and, and posing. Uh, but, but then you, his art is, you know, weird and ugly and you combine those two things it just it, like it it adds thematically to what this book is saying you know it is very much what happens when these superheroes that have been around since the 30s and 40s what do they do when they are meeting facing ideas from the 80s like how does how does a superhero story adapt to that um and i feel like his art is that basically in this that it's a reflection of that bygone era, but an adaptation to the ugliness that they saw in the world of the eighties. Frank Miller. Yes. 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 Yeah, that Frank Miller sees <laughs> at least. So, do you think that, um, so I, I kind of see that there's kind of a thematic difference. I mean, we already mentioned like, you know, Alan Moore sees that different, but do you think at least uh, I, I don't know how to ask this question with a, without giving you my answer, but you can sort of react to it uh, however. But it sort of seems like Frank Miller is just really down on it, like, oh, the world's gone to shit. This is terrible and this is garbage and this is – but like Alan Moore's kind of look at it is, well, here's these – like this old, simpler – sort of innocent time and these people adapting to a world that's becoming far more complicated, much more complex, much darker, much deeper, you know, where it's just turning into like pure apocalyptic black and white evil Mm -hmm. in Frank Miller's mind. Yeah. I, then I was, I think I was trying to get at that earlier. Like Mm. I feel like that is the difference between those two books and that I feel like Alan Moore is consciously consciously conscious consciously trying to 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 tell that how that superhero stories these same superheroes these archetypes that have existed in comic books for at this point 50 years um how they can't necessarily adapt and how a story that is like you can't necessarily do that it is not necessarily they're not compatible in a certain way um this story is muddled and it is like it is very much i think it one it, one thing that it is because it is in a it is a batman story it has batman and superman in it it will all it in it can't like i i'm i'm curious cuz they they said that there was four or five drafts of this and i'm curious how like I feel like if Batman had stayed had actually died and stayed dead, I feel like it at least gets somewhat to the same point that Watchmen does. Mm-hmm. But I, mm. but Bat it is opt like it you're you like Eric you mentioned that you liked the optimistic ending you know Batman's alive mm-hmm. and he's gonna keep fighting that war and I but you're basically you're basically comparing him to Rorschach that he dies for his principles exactly yeah yeah and I and I feel like. Yes, Batman is still alive at the end, but the world is not a better place. And we, like, you look at the, I mean, 
was it Dark Knight Strikes Back? Mm-hmm. Or Strikes Again, excuse me. Um, that was set after this. We'll, we'll probably read it at some point. It's certainly, my memories of it are not good, and most people <laughs> agree with that. Um, and it's certainly All Star Batman and Robin also. We, we have read that. That is also not very good. Um, come on, you, you love, uh, painted yellow tracheotomies. Ooh, boy. <laughs> yep. That's in that comic. That's for sure. Um, that, that really happens. That, that does happen. Uh, gives Green Lantern some lemonade. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I feel like, it it actually it but having Batman survive makes it basically endorses the idea that no this is okay I I feel like that is the thing I actually have the biggest problem with in this comic is that I I think that you know ending on that note of Batman surviving it does the the, the reason I like it is I I I walk away from it feeling well you know. At least Frank Miller has some level of optimism that he thinks that the world is worth fighting for, you know, that that things can be salvaged, even though it is going to require breaking everyone's arms and legs. <laughs> well, I think that one of the things that uh, people talk about a lot is that the uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of the great man theory of history. Uh, I think that's one of those things uh, that Frank Miller heavily subscribes to is that. If you just leave people to their own devices, the world's not going to get better. You have to have uh, individual great leaders that will push us mm-hmm. forward. And his idea is that Batman is one of those people and that without him, the world is – and other superheroes, the world's going to devolve into essentially chaos. And that this is his way of saying, okay, as long as Batman and people like him can survive, then the world will be a better place eventually. But if we just let it to you know, you masses of people, then nothing will ever get done. Hashtag who is is John Galt. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to cut you off there. I had to. Oh, no, that's I I, I was done. That just made me. I know I had had to make the Ayn Rand joke. Yeah. Speaking of great men, Uh Superman, do you got like Superman's portrayal in this? That is probably, again, another huge point of contention for many people Mm -hmm. who, who went talking about this comic book contextually i am okay with it in this comic book in this comic book only Mm -hmm. i am not okay with this same superman showing up anywhere else i think that's a fair cop i was just i was very glad that it wasn't like the superman i guess it was in all-star where he's just basically like a complete imbecile Mm -hmm. here he's a bootlicker yeah but which doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Uh, for like, I feel like it is the only way I like the way I justify the characterization in this comic is the fact that he is he's Superman's being prag- pragmatic and he is only you know he is only one person. He can only he can't do everything, and the government is going to do what you know whatever they going to do it regardless of what he does. So he. Takes, makes the choice that where he can continue saving lives, conti- yeah. continue acting without an open revolt, you know. And again, Frank Miller has set out this world with these things happening. I, I'm not going to try and argue that certain things would never happen in the DC universe, like a world where the no, government- that, that that never works with a story like this because then you're just 
things are weird at that point. This is the world you have. This is if you try and say that that would never happen, that there's no point in this story wouldn't exist. So yeah, and sorry, no, I, I that's what I mean. Like, and so I can with the thing the events that Miller has laid out in this comic, I can see Superman kowtowing to the government because it allows him to still function in a certain role in saving lives. Is it? I don't necessarily think that it is a good portrayal of Superman, but it is not, I don't think it's completely lacking substance. It, it just, he only works in the context of this story. And like, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, uh, the, this to me feels like the Superman as Batman always worries about him. He's always like, oh, you know, you're, you're the farm boy. You're the one who will take orders from the government even when you shouldn't. So this version of Superman is Batman's, you know, uh, boogeyman version of Superman, essentially. Mm-hmm. He knows Superman will probably never go evil, but he's worried that something like this would happen. I like that. And he's also not completely irredeemable. Like you can, there's mm-hmm. moments where Superman mm-hmm. is, at the funeral at the end, he hears Bruce is still alive and he just lets him, you know, he's like, you know, wink, wink. Yeah. And I don't know. I, 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 I like their fight at the end, but I like it for a completely different reason than I did when I first read this when I was like 17. <laughs> and I was like, you were just like Batman on a horse. Yeah. Batman's beating up Superman. Awesome. Um, <laughs> no, like the fact that he hits him basically with the whole city of Gotham. That's kind of like, you know, thematically in, in the, the metaphor, you know, is, you know, he's plugged into the electrical grid of Gotham and, he, you know, he has the whole city behind him. It's a very Batman thing. Um, that's true because there are no breakers between that outlet and the whole city. Matt, nope. Matt, we don't need your engineering knowledge to interfere <laughs> sorry, with sorry, a good comic bad. book story. Um, but I just wanted to see him plugged into like a giant plug, you know, like the kind they have in Looney Tunes cartoons. <laughs> And then he and then he paints a, a tunnel on the side of a wall. Exactly, that's how he gets away. Into it. <laughs> so they're saving that for Dark Knight Four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the Dark Knight Four. Hitler did, did nothing wrong. That comic did come out this week. The the prequel to Master Race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still haven't read that. I haven't either, and we're not going to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Frank Miller's name on it, but come on, come on, come on, guys. Yeah, come on, guys. Uh, I don't know. I, w- do you guys? I, we're hitting about an hour on this. Uh, is there so any like two hours more? Two hours more. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, is there anything else you guys? Any questions or thoughts you guys had that we haven't talked about yet? We haven't mentioned the Joker in this oh, that's, at all. That's true. I actually like, yeah. might be worth talking about because I feel like the whole time I was reading this, I was thinking about our conversation about uh what's a good joker story this is a pretty decent joker story yeah no i he's a you know it's a very limited role Mm -hmm. um but i feel like it is the exactly Mm -hmm. the right like i it feels like the joker to me Mm -hmm. especially like i i feel like one of the the weird things about this particular story and especially to deal with the psychiatrist uh i think his name was wolper uh is that he believes that no one is uh 
incapable of redemption. And I, I think, especially with Two-Face and the Joker, that Frank Miller believes that almost no one is capable of redemption because they both go back to their ways. And, you know, neither of those is is really accurate. Um, I, I feel like you get the feeling from from both Two-Faces and the Joker's appearances that uh, Frank Miller believes that uh, people don't redeem themselves. You just have to make them fear the punishment to make them stop committing crimes, uh, which in the Joker's case, 100% true. That's the whole point. That's why Joker is one of the scariest Batman villains, whereas Two-Face goes kind of either way. Uh, I don't know if you guys, uh, I think you guys read the new um, uh, Batman Rebirth or Detective Comics, whichever one that has Clayface in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a very, very interesting inclusion in uh, Batman's new little team of, of Gotham superheroes is a, a former villain who we know is just trying to do right. And, you know, Two-Face is a little more on the villain side because he's a little crazy, but there has to be at least the possibility there of him uh, basically uh, redeeming himself. Whereas the Joker, that's that's why the, this is a great Joker story, because it shows that no matter what, the Joker is irredeemable, even to the point where killing himself to make Batman look bad. That is a scary ass Joker. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel like Two-Face wants to be caught in this. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like he wrecked like that schism in his mind or whatever it it feels like the harvey dent portion of him realizes that he should be locked away and never let out and he kind of wants batman to catch him and no the joker in this is clearly like no he's the same i do find it interesting that i mean it ties back into that the joker does not exist without batman you know and as soon as right. batman comes back out yeah the, the joker wakes up basically you know and becomes the Joker again, and he needs that challenge. He needs the confrontation. He needs the 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 antagonism between the two to exist. But it is, I think that only works on a level like this. I don't think if you look at it too closely, I feel like it falls apart. I think you can just say the bat the Joker does not exist without the Batman, and that can be the only sentence you need. You know, you don't need to explain mm-hmm. that. I feel like... Or if you do, do it a full-on story like this one. I don't know. I, I feel like anytime someone has tried to do it, it just it feels clunky and kind of just, like, yeah. too complicated. Like, it doesn't need to be. It can just be very simple. I don't know. I, I, I would say uh, Mr. Snyder took it a little... did a little too much with it. Yeah. Yep. Um... <laughs> a lot of a lot of that was Ruby biting off part of his tongue. Yeah. Uh, we we spent already so we much blood. we spent a lot of time on talking about that. Um, I guess uh, we a thing we have discussed in Miller Comics before. Um, portrayal of women. Where there's not a world of them in here. No, a lot of them not, it's sort of victims. Yeah, there. Well, there's the commissioner, the new commissioner, commissioner. Yeah, Ellen, Ellen, yeah. It's pretty much she's, the only one. And Carrie, and Carrie Kelly, theoretically. Yeah. yeah. Even though there's Selena Kyle, really even, who's a victim. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in terms of like the three women we see who actually seem to get names besides Gordon's wife, who we only see in like a silhouette at the end, they're not that bad. Uh, there's been much worse. I mean, mm-hmm. none of them really get fridged at least. That's, that is true. No, that's, that is true. Um, this, this, this book, I think of like comically just, I, we, we, we talked about that second season of Dragon Ball. I was just thinking about this earlier. In which they go literally to another planet, and the whole planet is dudes. Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole season with one girl character. That's kind of how this feels. <laughs> that women are just sort of outside 
the circle of what this story is. That it's just, this is a world that's all gross, sweaty men and ball sacks. <laughs> that's, 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 that's Frank Miller's world. It really is like, this is a story about men. Yeah. That's true, especially since there's, there's no mention of, of Batgirl at all. And I mean, okay, you guys can school me a little bit. Batgirl existed back in like the 60s and 70s Batmans, right? Like, yeah. Didn't like, okay, so basically he is just saying that, no, I don't want to deal with having a, a female around. But then Carrie but then, Kelly comes in but, and yeah. slide of that. So it's like weird. He's certainly like dad Batman to her, like literally telling her to sit up straight. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, sit up straight, Robin. Yes, sir. Yes, Daddy. Batgirl first appeared in 1967. Oh, okay. I, and I, but I don't know. I think this book just kind of ignores anything that is not useful to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it just, I mean, that can be good, you know, if you're telling you a tight things. Yeah, exactly. You're telling a tight story. You can leave some out, but I think like to be like, okay, half the people on Earth don't really matter. It's fine. I I don't know. It's is it it's, is it worse? Uh, well, we see Carrie Kelly, who is effectively like I don't. She doesn't really have. She's not sexual. Like she's just she's a child. Like she's not mm-hmm. even. There's no like. Hey, I. She, she doesn't have any like sexual feelings or anything like that. And it's like they yeah. barely sex her at all. Like they even confuse her for a boy multiple times mm-hmm. because she's a Robin. Um, Yindel is a very by the books. You know, also like cold. Yeah. You know, coward, yes. like a very like, hey, I am, com- I have a job that is what I genderless, do. genderless, and then you have Selena Kyle who is like a runs a brothel, uh, mm-hmm. very sexualized, like kind of now elderly basically and beaten up, victimized. Um, I don't, I, I, it's not good that it ignores that women exist on Earth, but I'm more comfortable Frank Miller doing that than including more of them for him to yeah. bad things to happen to, basically. It's well, I mean, even when he tries to write them powerful, they're they're not great. I mean, I think about I think about Batgirl and All Star Batman and I think about Black Canary and that no, as well. And they're God. not they're not handled well. No. They're 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 not. I just I'm I don't know. I'm gonna take that to my grave is like how not to write anyone's voice to where Batgirl like I look awesome. Like I, I don't know. It, it it worries me. I don't think he did a good job on that. No, and that and, that excellent book. And I, I I feel like I'm I feel like it's just better off if he does treat most of his like read 300 it is yeah. almost all dudes and i mm-hmm. for what that comic is i think it does a fine job i'm kind of glad there's basically no women in it because yeah frank miller doesn't know how to write a woman like he doesn't understand yes he can't there's no nuance he can write a woman like he's writing a male character like they're the same yeah. without sexuality and like when i don't want him to sexualize characters cuz that's what happens like you mentioned in all-Star Batman and the uh, the, the the script the script for uh, him describing to Jim Lee how oh, to draw Vicky Vale that's really truly hilarious I, really I recommend everyone on earth look it up and read it it is deliciously stupid I wish I could have had your your performance of it Eric queued <laughs> up because I would have played it right now um, it was uh, as a classic that is one of our classics back in the vault 
No, I think you can. You can, you can I don't know what episode can, it was, but you you can, you you can, can find you it. Can. It was a it was a fairly early one. It was maybe the second or third one after we did the crow because it we we basically changed it because we used to it, it used to be called classics or something. Mm-hmm. We, we we rebranded it Nerd Boy Book Club so we could read bad stuff. It is episode forty. Ah, wow, that many. It is. I would have thought like fifteen or twenty. It's officially the ner- it is a Nerd Boy Book Club. So yeah. 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 Well, I mean, The Crow was surprisingly early as well. Well, you got to get those classics out of the way early. Yeah, it's true. You gotta, it's true. So you saved this one, but you did The Crow. <laughs> we had to. We, we had, had to. to. Come on, The Crow. James O'Barr. Old Jimmy O'Barr. Um. Okay, so we officially hit the point where we just started discussing The Crow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have my copy right here. No, that's okay. Are you sure? I'm, 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 I'm pretty positive. Uh, Come on, man. I, 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 the cat in the hat, man. Brings me right back. The cat in the hat. You guys have anything else you want to mention? I'll take that as a no. Nothing's leaping out at me. Yeah, I can't think of anything. I think we probably, there's always more we could discuss. But yeah. It's like Watchmen. I think that is, you know, like it has that in common with Watchmen as well in that it has a lot of things to unpack from it and therefore you could talk if you want to really dig into any little bit of it you could probably discuss it for a while um i still really like this book um it, it i consider it a little bit more problematic than i used to but i still really really enjoy it and it is still one of my favorite batman stories i think that's a valid position to have but it's it's not it is not one of mine Matt, where you, where what where where you go? I just want to make sure Eric was done. Sorry, uh, I <laughs> I I enjoyed this Batman, um, uh, this look into his psyche and how he thinks. Uh, and the story is in general okay, but there are enough problems with it. Uh, mainly with Frank Miller's outlook on life and how he designed this world that I I would not put it on my favorite Batman stories, but as a prominent one, perhaps. Mm. Okay. Um, let's see. How do we want to dis- We can decide later, Eric, when what we're doing next week, I guess. Yeah. No, we can we can do it after we record, which is fine. I do have you a copy of Cope with Round Three. Cool. But so, I assume you knew that. I did know that, because uh, I assumed you were not keeping a copy that had insults to oh. me in it. Um, yes. Uh okay. We'll just we can wrap I can wrap it up here and then we can after yeah. When we record, we can do the do our do our plugs and yeah. Uh, so I think that'll do it for Dark Knight Returns. Matt, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Pretty good podcast host, there, buddy. I know it's almost like he has experience or something. Uh, know, especially dealing with Robbie. Well, he's got good references. That's half the battle. Uh, anything you'd <laughs> like to plug, Matt? Uh, well, I don't know if you guys know this, but Robbie and I do another podcast called The Simpsons Show that everyone okay. should check out. Oh, okay. I've never heard of this. <laughs> no. In no way do it's, I listen it's, to every it's episode. It's this cult show that uh, no one has ever heard about, uh, the, the Simpsons. Uh, it started back in the 80s. It went kind of unnoticed. It's only been going for about 27 years now. You guys have probably never heard of it. Never. Never. Okay, folks, that was our discussion on Dark Knight Returns. Long and... <laughs> complex everything about this 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 episode is long and complex complex it kind of is uh we're, we're also long and complex yeah i had to say it. i'm ooh, sorry ooh, i'm sorry ooh, okay i'm i'm so sorry 
All right. Uh, next week we are beginning our uh, a a three week journey into Transmetropolitan. Probably, I don't know it. I I hesitate to say the thing that Warren Ellis will most be remembered for, but it it uh, is very relevant within in the world's political climate. I would say right now uh, we will be reading the first three trades, which is issues one through eighteen. Warren Ellis, Derek Robertson. I'm interested in reading it and discussing it, Eric. I think it's going to be exciting. I haven't read it since I was in, I don't know, mid-late college, and I don't think I appreciated it then. I've read it more recently, and I am just, with all that political stuff going on, I am curious to see the, it, 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 we'll talk about it. Um, with that, we can uh, wrap it up. Let's see, you can find us at handsomeboyscomicshour.com. All new episodes downloadable, streamed there. You can also find us on Twitter at HBC Hour, on Facebook at facebook.com slash handsomeboyscomicshour. Emails at handsomeboyscomics at gmail.com. Uh, if you like the show, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe, all that good stuff on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Music or wherever you listen to us. It helps us out. You can find me on Twitter at MixMasterSerial. It's M-I-X-M-A-S-T-E-R-C-E-R-E-A-L. Eric, where can they find you online? That's a super good question. You can see my portfolio by going to FreeWillUnlimited.com and see most of the things I get up to online by going to EricZGoodnight.com. And you can, while you're at it, you can grab me on Instagram. I'm EasyGoodnight. And on Twitter, I am at Mr. Bad Example, spelled M-R, Bad Example. That, folks, will call it a day. Have a good one. Rock and roll.